Patriotism, sacrifice, love, duty, a country on the verge of war, a lifelong love of flying. A country needed her. She would serve no matter what the cost. Hello, and welcome to the Book Club Juxtapositions podcast, a book club where we discuss two pieces of literature and juxtapose them based on theme, plot, author style, societal norms, and basically just how the book grabs you. All of the interesting things that make for a great spoiler-filled book club discussion. Did you say spoiler-filled? Yes, I said spoiler-filled. In each episode, we will mainly focus on one of the literary pieces. With all good literature, one can't help but make comparisons and connections to other literary works and in life. In the second episode, we will examine the same ideas with the counterpiece of literature. This is just a fun way to compare and contrast two pieces of literature and have a lively discussion. This is an adult podcast intended for adult listeners, and we may use adult language. Adult language? What the hell? In this month's episodes, we will explore the theme of female perseverance in the face of danger or death using the books, The Flight Girls versus A Train in Winter. I'm Tracy May, author, multi-award winning screenwriter and former educator. I'm Kimberly Andy, creator of the blog, Lily Pads of Curiosity, travel writer and former educator. The Flight Girls by Noelle Salazar is a fictional account of Audrey Cotrane, a trainer and military pilots in Hawaii, December 7, 1941, whose life unalterably changes with the advent of war, propelling her to serve her country, suffer loss, and fall in love as a World War II women air service pilot or wasp. So does gender influence how you love and serve your country or how you approach a goal or an obstacle? Who are you deep down? What are you made of during a country's most dire of moments? The women who served in World War II are icons of female perseverance in the face of danger or death. The novel is more character-driven than a historical retelling. The author refers to it as a work of fiction, and she wanted to paint a picture, entertain, not drown you in facts or knowledge of flying. She came up with the idea to write this novel when she visited her aunt, who was writing up information for the new WASP exhibit at the Seattle Flight Museum. So the role in history... Was it underutilized in The Flight Girls? Yeah, we already talked about that. Tracy, you just brought that up, that the author in um, interviews that she stated that she wanted to just kind of paint this picture. She didn't want to drown you in facts. But I want to take a minute and drown you in some facts because the history of WASP is something that this book brought open to me and made me really want to research. And so there's some really cool, interesting things about the program and the women during this time period that I think that everybody should know about. Let's start with the history of WASP. First of all, you mentioned WASP is the Women Air Service Pilot. And that is something that you probably haven't heard of before. When you ask a group of people, what is a WASP? They're going to tell you all kinds of other things other than the actual definition of that acronym. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I was thinking a few myself. Right, so, yeah. right, yeah. So it's not all those things that you think of. It is an acronym, Women Air Service Pilot. And where did that come from? Well, they came from... The time period right when Pearl Harbor was attacked, you think about all those men. And those men were needed, the, the trainers and the, of the pilots, they were needed to go into combat. They needed them all to have their own plane and be in combat, as you would completely imagine. 
And so they had to bring in somebody else, other people, to be able to do the training. And they didn't want to use other men that could be in combat to do this. And so they went to women. The interesting part that I found is that men that went into the military at the time, they were trained how to fly from scratch. They never had to have any flight hours under their belt at all. But the women, they did. And the woman that was um, actually one of the pro- in the program, in the WASP program, one of them had over 2,900 hours of flight time already. And that's an incredible amount of flight time when you think of just ground-to-air time, block-to-block. Block, would that be to- considered that they were actually flying the plane? or <clears throat> Yes. So in order to consider flight time, they would have had to have been flying Literally in the air. Yeah, fl- mm-hmm. it, literally air time that they have block-to-block. Um, block. During that time period, you wouldn't have imagined. It is something that kind of was surprising to me. We're talking the 1940s, how many women out there actually had flight hours under their belt or pilot's license or had the money to put forth to their pilot's license. And a lot of the women that I researched here, they said that they you know, gave up their own uh, money and found you know five hundred dollars to get a, a pilot's license and that's expensive now much you know it's nothing in the pocket now for what a pilot's license would be but it's still expensive today and it would be you know think about how expensive that was then and they were getting these pilot's license even prior to the war so when the war hit and they were needed they were brought up into um, into the the program so Jacqueline Cochran is the one that started this program she started off with twenty 25,000 applicants. 25,000 applicants. Think about that. I mean, how would they even get the word out that they needed people to be in this program? But they did through the air service, which would be pretty cool. From those, um, 1,830 were accepted. From those, only 1,074 actually graduated from the program. And the combination of those 1,074 graduates flew over 60 million miles. 60 million miles. Wow. That is a lot of airtime. That's a lot of time that these women flew. And so how did they get this? Did they get those airtimes from, from just being trainers? No, they were trainers. But they also had to fly all kinds of crazy flights, including they flew planes that had been repaired. And maybe they had something patched up or they had some mechanical work done. And they actually flew the plane before a man was allowed to get into the plane <laughs> right, and make sure that it was flying properly and that it was safe so that the man could get in it and fly. Um, they would also be the ones that uh, they didn't have simulators. And so these men had to learn how to shoot a moving target. And so the women would, in their B-29 or their 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 plane, they would, or their B-25 bomber, they would have a string, kind of like, you know, the banners that fly over the beaches and have, you know, wherever and have uh, advertisements. They would have one of those, but in a bomber. And and the target, the banner that was trailing, you know, trailing behind them was the moving target that the other pilots, the men, had to hit. And each of their bullets were painted a different color. So, so they, they could see. Yeah. Track it. So they could track it. So they could see when they landed who actually hit the target. Oh, that's And how close they got. Yes. Yeah. It really interesting. So here, these poor women, I shouldn't say poor women, they did this out of pride. And they, you know, the interviews that I watched and, and uh, saw videos of these interviews, they were kind of laughing about it because they said, you know, yeah, they're shooting live ammo at us. And they weren't always on target. <laughs> and they, you know, one lady said, she goes, I actually landed and had a few holes in my, in my tail. 
And I was laughing, thinking, well, you knew what color those bullets were. I hope you let him have it. <laughs> but, um, but they definitely did this, and they talked about in their interviews that they did this by serving with honor and integrity. And they were at the height of that because they were not respected in that same way. They weren't recognized for that same thing. So that's um, really interesting. They also transported every type of military aircraft to other bases. So when you think about when the airplanes were coming off of the line and they were first ready to be used, they would take those and they would ferry them. And ferrying a plane means that you're flying it empty. You're flying it for no other purpose than to get it from point A to point B. And so they would ferry that plane to the military base that they needed to to have that aircraft. And then they would take another uh, aircraft to wherever it needed to go or wherever it was transporting cargo or whatever. They did all of that while the men did the the combat. So it's really interesting to find out all this and see what an actual impact that they had and how important their role was. Because honestly, without somebody, without the women being able to do that and to be able to do it in the, um, the way that they did and to train the men the way that they did the men wouldn't have been able to do what they did. (laughs) Right. And also just on a mere level, just the trailblazing of females in these roles. Absolutely. Because that comes up later. They were not given the recognition. And that's why, you know, we don't see them in history books, things like they should be, and it's not brought up. And they were not given that military recognition. And that went on until 1976, when the Air Force actually posted that they were going to allow women to be the first pilots in the military. And the WASP women said, uh, no, and we have, you know, we were the first women to do this, and we were the first women pilots in military, and they've never been recognized, and so they put up a fight, and who was president in 1977, Tracy? Jimmy Carter. That's right. Jimmy Carter was the president, and Jimmy Carter actually passed a, a law recognizing their military recognition, giving them their military recognition, and granting them their military status. That was huge for them to be able to have that military status and to have the military benefits that they should have had all along that their male counterparts had the whole time. And so that was huge. Then fast forward to 2009. Who was president in 2009, Tracy? That would be Barack Obama. That would be Barack Obama. And Barack Obama and the United States Congress awarded the WASP the Congressional Gold Medal. Three of the roughly 300 surviving wasps were on hand to witness the event. And during that ceremony, Barack Obama said, the women Air Force service pilots courageously answered their country's call in a time of need while blazing a trail for the brave women who have given and continue to give so much in service to this nation since. Every American should be grateful for their service, and I am honored to sign this bill to finally give them some of the hard-earned recognition they deserve. Wow. That's fantastic. And it puts the story in a whole new light. Totally does. But, you know, even though I thought that the story was handled or the book was handled with a lighter touch, I still thought the the way that they portrayed or the way she portrayed the attack in Pearl Harbor was still terrifying. And because we saw it from Audrey's point of view and knew that it was personally affecting her because she was, you know, she had lost some friends fearing for her own safety, I thought it was super impactful. And I thought that she did a beautiful job with with describing that, you know, just how sad that is. Maybe she tapped into some of her um, 
inner watching Pearl Harbor and how they all reacted together and how they just jumped in. That's kind of how I visualized that scene when I was reading it was I expected Ben Affleck to jump out, (laughs) Um, but he kind of did. He was just in a different form named James Hart. But um, I think that, you know, she did a great job with that by bringing the reader in, giving it a little bit lighter touch, but also being impactful enough on those serious areas to make you feel the impact of it and make a, a true connection with this character. I really felt like she did a great job with that. Now, Audrey's gender wasn't really the source of her obstacles, which I found interesting that the story, you know, was kind of the backdrop or a subplot, but it was not the source of her obstacles, which could have been a different route. It was just an interesting choice. Did you think that the con- that made the conflict more or less impactful or more or less powerful when they were just kind of briefly mentioned? I think that, honestly, I kind of got the idea that the author's intention was to make that more impactful than it came across. And maybe that's because she was giving it such a lighter touch Mm -hmm. that it didn't come across that way. I think she maybe intended it to because there were some things that she said that, you know, they they didn't really think that she was there to pick up the plane or that, you know, when she was doing these, these missions to, you know, transport and whatnot. You know, I think that it just goes along with, you know, hand in hand with how women are treated differently anyway and that's not to bring up a whole feminist thing it's just a fact it's I think that it made it what it was I don't think it was intended to be more or less powerful what do you think I I think I think the focus was more on the danger and the perseverance to learn the skills necessary to uh, survive and serve that it because it was a subplot that was the ultimate feminist message because it wasn't the conflict the conflict was her focusing and learning and loving and losing and but not because she was a woman but because that's who that character was to move past all that is kind of the ultimate feminist message oh I think that's a great point I think that you know when we talked about what books we were going to do this month and we Mm -hmm. talked about doing the flight girls my thought was to talk about wow how did women you know girl power how did they bond together during this time and then oh how would this be the same, you know, how could we juxtapose that? Well, let's juxtapose it with um, women on the other side of the pond and what was their view of it like at the time. And I was so surprised to see the drastic difference of the the two, obviously, um, in these two books. And it's, and it's so impactful to see the difference between the flight girls and a train and winner because of the female friendships and how they were forced to persevere. Why do you think that it's so important? I think having that shared experience of living in fear, obviously there were different levels of fear, you know, fear from second to second about your very survival and the, and the absolute, I can't even begin to imagine the horrors and the, just the daily trauma of the train of winter. I mean, it was horrific beyond words, but just the bonding that these women, how they helped each other survive through these intense situations you know, is powerful. I think that it's really impactful to understand the camaraderie that happens with humans in general, but then with women and with the women in the flight girls, it was about patriotism. They talk about that. It was about honor to, to do what they were doing, but they were volunteering to do something that they loved and they were going out there in a train and winter. Theirs was on perseverance because they weren't volunteering to be put through what they were put through. They were being punished for being patriotic and for being those women. So I think that, you know, that's really important to pull out of the understanding of these two books is what bonded them together, their shared experience. But and I think persistence also 
And the two books had a lot to say about perseverance and regardless of the difficulty to work to achieve those goals. And maybe that goal was just surviving the next five minutes. Or maybe that goal was landing that airplane and not dying in a fiery crash. I think it it resonates with us as, you know, modern day heroes because that perseverance in, in 2019 and what that looks like compared to what it looked like in 1940s. How do you think it would look differently today than it did in the 1940s? Like... I think how do we still persevere? How how is it different? I'm curious about that. Like, do we have that same, you know, that they're considered the greatest generation? I would hope that we would stand up and rise to the occasion. And I I I think think we do. We we do see that in small, you know, and every time it's kind of like what Mr. Rogers says, you know, in these tragic situations, look for the helpers. And I think we do see these kind of helpers and people who rise up to the occasion. So I I think we would, but I do think maybe then 1945, I, I guess the, the stereotype would be they were just inherently stronger people. Yeah. I think that now there is a lot of um, camaraderie and stuff with the Me Too movement and things like that. And again, this isn't about being feminist and pulling all those into it. But if we are comparing like then and now, I do think that it would be something that they would bond together and it would show some togetherness in a time period where there's such division. Did you find the book approachable? Like, did when you were reading it, did you feel like it was approachable emotionally? I do. And I think that that goes right to where she said that she wanted to keep it lighter and paint a picture. And painting that picture made it very approachable. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, um, in some cases, if it were overloaded with facts, it would come across less approachable to some. And this opened it up to be okay for any age group to be able to jump in and then hopefully seek out other information like we're bringing up. Kind of a gateway. Yeah. So I think that she used the characters to really bring that out and to bring those emotions in, like Carter. Do you think that throughout all of this, for this character, to be able to get through what she was going through and get through her difficulties and persevere, do you think that she uses Carter? I think she was honest with him, but she gave him enough hope to kind of keep coming back. But I think she was still trying to figure out herself how she felt about him. Don't you think that's the same, though, as any young woman or sure, any young absolutely. man during that time period? So, yeah. I mean, yeah, just add that on top of what she was going through. Right. You know, I think that it was really cool that um, she showed in that character how strong she was, that she didn't want to sacrifice herself because the society said so. She had her goals and her dreams, and she ultimately wanted to live those out. And Carter didn't want her to do that. And she holding her back. Yeah. And and so she was kind of dancing on that line of, you know, which dream does she follow or what's right? You see my air quotes. (laughs) That translates really well. Yeah, it does. I'm sure that, yeah, audio is really great. Can you hear the whoosh, whoosh of the air quotes? (laughs) Well, you know what? From the very beginning of the story, Audrey expresses her need for freedom. She doesn't want what so many others wanted at that time, that marriage and family, and it was okay being alone. But do you think, just looking at her character, not necessarily women in general, do you believe that she, Audrey, could have been truly happy without someone to share a life with? Or as many of her friends tell her, that she must have that? I think, personally, she could have. Because she was already strong and really happy and independent and, and really held on to what she needed. And I think that she does exactly what I think some people forget and they lose track of. And that is um, remembering that you have your own life and your own goals. And when you're a a mother and and a a wife, you tend to set all of that, you know, all of your own personal needs aside so that you're there for your family. And 
And ultimately, by doing that is a disservice to yourself and to your family because you don't know who you are. So you're not giving your best of yourself. Yeah, I, I definitely think Audrey's story was inspirational. From Audrey, do you think that she's different from her mother? I mean, we're talking about she maybe got her values of how to be a mother and a wife from her mother. Do you feel that she's different from her mother, yet they share some similarities? What do you think they have in common? I think her mother was incredibly strong. And even though you could kind of tell she was a little bit more bonded with the father, I think kind of that strength came from the mother. One thing that, just a side note, when you picked this out, you had read it before me. And you're saying, oh, no, no, it's fine. It's it's fine. There's nothing, you know, too emotionally emotionally taxing. And all of a sudden I was reading it. And spoiler alert, uh, Carol Ann, her best friend dies. Did you say spoiler? I said spoiler alert. (laughs) And her best friend dies, Carol Ann. So I remember texting Kimberly going, okay, Carol Ann died? <laughs> Thanks really? for telling me Thanks. this. Thanks for that. <laughs> but one question I had is the fact that she wasn't the one to find James at the end. That she goes and she looks for him and we've spent a lot of time with her looking for him. And then finally she decides to come back. And it's not until then that she's reunited with James. And I don't know, I, I kind of thought through a screenwriter's eyes, cinematically, that would have been a great scene to see that her reuniting with him in, in Europe. You know, that's interesting because when I was reading it, I kept reading it um, thinking cinematically a difference. I was thinking the whole time they were together, they shared this, she shared her dream with him of wanting to own her own airport. There's my air quotes again. We got the air quotes again. Air quotes again. (laughs) 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 She wanted, she, she had it all laid out in her mind exactly how it would be. And he even made comments a few times about how he would visit her there. And he would, you know, if she, if he did, would she, you know, maybe have a hotel there? Could he stay? And would she show him around and whatnot? And so when she didn't find James, when she went looking for him, to me, it was like, well, of course, they foreshadowed that before that he would walk up. So I just kept picturing cinematically that, that that was the whole thing. You picture the music in the background. They should make this into a movie. And if they do, hopefully um, you guys remember that we need to have a part. <laughs> and <laughs> Matthew we, McConaughey. We'll be, yes, Matthew McConaughey will be in it, and we'll have our own little part. But I think in that, you know, that to me was that scene of him now coming up that walk and seeing her that way. It seemed like it couldn't have ended any other way other than him to show up for her. Oh, that's an, it's, that's an interesting way of yeah. looking at it. I mean, but I think that, you know, this whole novel all along is showing her having this female strength and all this perseverance. And so she, you know, I could see that too, where if she found him, it would be dun 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 Right, you know, right, right. Throw him over her shoulder <laughs> and, and, you know... Light a cigarette and walk away. You know, I don't know this James don't, Bond thing. Right, not turning your back to any explosions. Right, exactly. Her. You know, all this is going on, and he's you know bouncing along behind her. You know, <laughs> hanging off her shoulder. That would have been funny. But I think that you know she also wanted to romanticize it some, which is which is beautiful too. I think that the way she ended that, it made sense to me. Made sense absolutely for the story yeah, as well. For the story, absolutely. We would love to hear from you and what your thoughts are. You can check us out on our social media, Twitter account at Book Club Justice, or Facebook account, Book Club Juxtapositions. When you rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, it really helps us out, so thank you very much. And thinking about our next episode, I want you to imagine never knowing from moment to moment whether or not you will survive or what new atrocities await you. Beaten, terrorized, starved, 
Yet these women live and serve to this day as beacons of grace, courage, and love. Our next episode, A Train in Winter by Caroline Moorhead. And that next episode will be posted on February 10th. And next month, we're going to talk about the books The Art of War. And we're going to juxtapose that with An Anonymous Girl. An Anonymous Girl is written by Greer Hendricks. You might recognize that Greer Hendricks also wrote The Wife Between Us. We're going to analyze The Anonymous Girl, which is a female thriller. And we're going to juxtapose that with an unintentional use of Sun Tzu's timeless strategies. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. We look forward to seeing you next time. Ciao, Bellas! Bellas.